And what we wanted to do with an Amigo is is to really launch something where people take one sip and go, this isn't what I remember tequila being like, or this isn't what I think tequila is. Oh my God, this is so different. It's incredible. Welcome to the Lush Life Podcast. I'm your drinking companion, Susan Schwartz, and I bring you the how-to guide for living life one cocktail at a time. Thanks to my mother's love of martinis, the first words I spoke were shaken, not stirred, and I've been obsessed by cocktails ever since. Together, we'll learn from bartenders, brand ambassadors, distillers, and others why certain drinks are popular in certain cultures, how to make the perfect old-fashioned, when to shake and when to stir, and so much more. Hear that sound? It's time to cozy up to the bar and let the fun begin. Two brothers from different parents. That's what my guests call themselves. Friends from birth, born almost on the same day, and with the same entrepreneurial spirit, Robin Clough and Max Davies Gilbert join me today to talk tequila and amigo, and how they are convincing the inconvincible that tequila is not just for shots anymore. Robin, um, you started life studying zoology. How does one make the the transition from zoology to tequila? Yeah, um, so I started with zoology. Zoology um, was, and biology especially, was sort of my best subjects at school. Um, and so when I was choosing my career um, or choosing my education, I really wanted to sort of double down in that space. Um, and also when going to university, you also get exposed to sort of going out and seeing friends. Um, and that was one of the sort of founding principles for what we now do with tequila is we wanted to be very environmentally friendly. Um, so when we discuss our tequilas a little bit later on, you'll see that a lot of it in our processes, um, it's very environmentally friendly, which stemmed from zoology. Um, but basically it just came from a core passion of liking animals um, and wanting to protect them to start with. Um, but yes, everything I worked on then definitely helps what we do now. So when you were studying, you weren't th- really thinking, this is going to be my life goal is to protect and save animals. No, I, I, don't, I don't think it was that. I think I just, I, I liked the scientific process. Um, I think using hypothesis testing um, is a very sort of effective way, not only to conduct scientific research, but also in business as well. Um, the best way to build a strong brand or a strong company is to test before, like to have a strong hypothesis, to test it, make sure it's statistically significant if you can, if you get good data, um, and then sort of double down in that area when you can. So those are kind of the guiding principles. And my brother actually did the same thing. Um, and I come from a family of doctors. Um, so this was kind of my way to sort of stay in the sort of the family vocation, but then sort of separated out into business later on. Did you always know that you wanted to get a business degree? That was always the plan. Um, that throughout my time at sort of school and university, I was always trying to start companies, um, both with Max and with, <laughs> with, with other friends, um, just throughout looking at any, op- any opportunity to sort of turn it into start a new business. Um, and very luckily it's turned into tequila now, which is sort of a very fun place to be. Now, we'll talk to Max in a second, but we're going to stick with you for, for sure. a moment. Um, did you know, now, you went to an MBA, you did an MBA in the U.S. Was that also something that you wanted to do, was go to the U.S.? Yeah, so uh, just about the time that I finished my um, my university degree in, in England, um, 
I knew that I wanted to go into business. And because my father is actually from America, um, and I'm lucky enough to have an American passport, meant that going out to California to do um, my next level of education seemed like the most fun option. Um, and so I very quickly scrambled that summer after my university degree. And in three months, took all the tests. Um, I did the GMAT in like a month. Um, and crazily, pretty much two weeks before the, the MBA actually started, I got in. And so oh my God, that's very, fantastic. Yeah, it was, it was sort of a very crazy week that I think even my family and friends were quite surprised about. I remember Max actually sending me a message being like, I can't believe you actually pulled this off. <laughs> it um, was quite incredible. And so like I was sort of, I was booking my, my plane tickets as I was sort of, when half my friends didn't even know I was going. Um, and just arrived there um, and it was a dream come true. So, Were you always going to go somewhere in the West because of the weather? The, the weather was definitely a big calling card, um, and I also sort of had a nice um, interest in technology um, and entrepreneurship, and so the, I went to University of California, San Diego, and their program's very focused around sort of tech entrepreneurship, so that was sort of a big calling card for me to get out there. Did you stay there and work in tech? Um, so I was in San Diego for two years for my MBA, um, where actually we met our other co-founder for an Amigo, but I did go and spend three years um, working in technology, so I worked for Hewlett-Packard. Um, and then a couple of startups up in San Francisco. All right, let's turn to you, Max. Let's hear a little bit about you. All right, <laughs> I saw that you studied law. Again, I law did, I did. My first degree, actually, which I left, was in molecular biology. Um, and I didn't really like it and made the decision after that that I was going to go to Argentina, where I'd been back and forth from since I was about 13. Um, and then when I got back from Argentina, I actually sat down and, and <laughs> did a law degree, uh, which is a bit of a weird... two here, really. One that's very much failed and <laughs> left early. <laughs> the other one who successfully... Just because you decided not to do it doesn't mean that you're not a scientist at heart. <laughs> so you went from law to... I then worked... Um, I worked in motorsport, so I worked uh, looking after a racing driver called Norman Nato, who raced at that point in what's called Formula 2 now. Uh, Formula 2 now, it used to be called GP2, which is one tier under F1. And uh, yeah, did, did a lot of things with sponsorship acquisition and, and, and trying to push him forward and ultimately into Formula 1, which he's now moved into endurance racing instead. But. So more of a lifestyle brand. You know, uh, yeah, that, kind of. Kind of the kind of. game world. A little bit more maybe than techie, I guess. Yeah, slight, slightly more. Um, actually, funny enough, we had, when we first came up with Enemigo, we had the Enemigo logos uh, racing around um, things like the Mono in the Monaco Grand Prix and Barcelona and things like that, which for a brand at that point that didn't have a bottle yeah, was, was probably quite, <laughs> quite excessive, but you get these opportunities and you've got to kind of snatch them, I think. All right, so we have two friends here. Why don't you tell me about your friendship? Well, we Robin was born on the 12th of October, 1908, uh, and I was, I was born on the 6th. And um, and our parents were very good friends, so I actually met Robin 12 days after I was born, and he met me six days after he was born. And we ended up also going to sort of similar schools, and, and yeah, we've just known each other for, for most, of, most of our childhood and adult life, for better or for worse. So you kept in touch <laughs> while you were doing all these studying oh, yeah, and, and a lot. work Absolutely, experience. I mean, I think like because of that friendship starting so young, that means that we were, we were kind of like brothers from different parents. Um, and from and from that moment on, that we, we had a sort of healthy level of competition, but also <laughs> um, that I remember we used to have phone calls when I was in California and, and Max was in Argentina. And we'd sort of catch up on business and catch up where we, were, we, were both, we both were, because the time difference was slightly favorable from when yeah. we were in 
sort of the UK and California. Um, so we always kept in touch throughout, um, hearing what type of adventures, both sort of professionally and um, personally, we were up to. And, and then when it ty- sort of came time to launch something together, it was sort of the perfect moment as Max was coming back to the UK. Um, and I was thinking the same thing. So. Well, let's go back to that time when you were going to launch something together. Okay, you have a career in tech and you are working with race car drivers. <laughs> you know, that, there's a big step from that to let's start a tequila brand. I think we were both always very interested in... Robin, when he was working in tech, left, left to go and join a tech startup. And when you're sort of the only one managing sort of the, the, the commercial side of racing... Um, they're both relatively sort of entrepreneurial fields to be in. Um, and so I think there was always that kind of desire from both of us, and we talked about it from when we were younger, to set things up. Um, and I think that, that naturally then um, yeah, moved from being in sort of stable jobs to taking a, taking a leap together, which I always thought we probably would end up doing. And where did tequila come from? Yeah, so I, um, we have one other founder... Um, called Sebastian who lives in Mexico and he was one of the first people I met on my sort of my first day at business school um, and so I walked in there um, and saw this sort of huge class of people who were a couple of years older than me at the time um, and he was the sort of the friendly Mexican guy who came up to me and invited everyone over to drinks for his uh, that straight away that night um, and from that moment on we were best friends um, and so I went down to Mexico a couple of times and um, and got exposed to really what good tequila could be. Um, were you guys big tequila drinkers before that? We definitely were. At least I, I definitely was. Um, I think Max being in South America meant that the, it was a little bit different out there. It was hard. At that point, there was uh, quite strict import rules in Argentina about, about what you could and could not import, which thankfully now have been slightly relaxed. But my exposure to tequila was, was there were a couple of really good tequilas that you could get. And so my exposure was actually rather than having sort of the bad middle of the range, you know, lower tequilas, actually quite good tequila. And I really, really enjoyed that. But it was harder to get in Argentina. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the, the big sort of moment that we had, that Sebastian and I had, was that I was sort of sitting there in a pretty much a street-side cafe um, and the standard place, and the, the cook, the owner, came out um, and said, hey, like, you guys are, like, pointing at me, saying, hey, you're, like, you're not from here, like, this is wonderful to see someone from Europe here. Um, would you like to try some of my tequila? Um, and he came out and sort of poured out some of them. And I think it was, I don't think it was too late in the day. So I was, I was always a little bit apprehensive um, because of some of the tequilas that I, would, I was used to back in the UK. Um, and so I, I tried some of it and it was just incredible. Um, it was this incredibly smooth, complex liquid um, at a very affordable price. Um, and so that was kind of the aha moment that I had. And so Sebastian and I spent the, the rest of the day brainstorming how we could bring this sort of premium <laughs> tequila to London and what we would call it and all that type of thing. But um, you said the type of tequila you had before in the UK. Yeah. Um, and so you were afraid to drink it too early. Mm. What had been your experience with the type of tequila you had in the UK. Yeah, I mean, it was a very stereotypical um, experience, and I think that's sort of part of the stuff that we'll discuss later about how we want to change the stereotype around tequila. But it was definitely the, the, the traditional way of either in a margarita, um, where you, you sort of put a lot of lime juice in and to make sure it sort of covers up the flavor profile, um, or in the more traditional way, the embarrassing way, which is as shots with salt and lime. So um, those are the ways that I was used to drinking it, and was still quite a sort of a fun way to drink it back then but when you tried something on the streets of Mexico that was just blew that out of the park this is something that 
in Mexico, what they do is that you sit down for lunch, um, whether it's a business meeting or not, or just seeing friends, and they'll put down a bottle of tequila that everyone sips throughout throughout the meal. Um, and that I've, I haven't really seen that done with a spirit sort of ever, let alone with a tequila based off the stereotypes I had. So seeing something so versatile like that was kind of the big moment for us that sort of spawned an amigo. So Max, was he texting you while he's doing this, just making you jealous? <laughs> you were like, wait a second. No, but I remember. I remember getting this phone call. I'd actually come back to London, I think, to see see my parents, and um, this is just after Robin. I think it also come back too. And he sort of brought brought me in and said, "I found I, I need to take you know. Have you ever tried tequila?" And I'm like, "Yeah, sure, dude. I've I've tried tequila." Um, he's like, "I've got the best one. You've got to try this." And he'd sort of smuggled these bottles back, and I tried them and was equally sort of blown away because, I mean, I think you always, if you've only ever drunk tequila, which is say fifty percent blue Weber agave and fifty percent uh, other sugar liquid or. or then you have this conception that tequila is this really knock your socks off, strong, punchy drink that you've got to swallow, you know, two limes and a bunch of salt in order just to get it down, and it's really only there to get drunk on. And I think if you ever approach a liquid with that idea, then if you try something which is super smooth, super good, aged, 100% Blue Weber Agave, the, the, the difference is just so incredible that you're blown away and in fact it just tastes amazing and what we wanted to do with Enemigo is is to really launch something where people take one sip and go this isn't what I remember tequila being like or this isn't what I think tequila is oh my god this is so different it's incredible and actually to get people in England to do that was one of the main catalysts that we had when we started you know to start Enemigo really and, cool. I, and I remember that. So I remember Kai, I, I brought a suitcase back of this um, <laughs> pretty, it was a very crazy looking bottle. I think it was, uh, actually, I can't, I can't remember the name, but it was this quite sort of noxious looking bottle that wasn't sealed very well. Um, and that if you brought it and showed it to anyone in England, they would instantly go, no, that's, that's going to be some fire water right there. Um, and that that was the, that was sort of the second moment in the company when sort of getting Max to try it and not, and for him to be surprised about it, but also giving it to our friends and, I had I became sort of one of the most popular people in my social sure. network of just hey, please bring your tequila for the night out because it's so it was just so smooth and so pleasant to sip it even at just at room temperature and before we like this wasn't even our recipe our product but it was just something so different to what people had seen. Well, back to that table mm-hmm. in, in when you're having lunch in Mexico. Yeah. Um, so the gentleman comes out and says, "I have this tequila you have to try," and then you sat there all day. You know, there is a leap from that to. I've got to bring this back and I've got to make a company out of this. Yeah. Um, did you have to go to that man and say, you know, we want to bring this to the UK? Oh, did he that, think you were crazy? What? You know. So that was like at that stage, like the, my Sebastian, our, our co-founder, he was like, hey, this isn't even the best tequila. Um, so he was like this, like, I can't believe you're surprised about this one. This is the one that's, that's at the street cafe. Like, let me show you some, some really spectacular stuff. Um, and so I was like, well, I'm already happy with this one <laughs> for, for now. Um, and so I've just brought bottles of that back to the UK, but 
um, and once I'd seen the sort of the effect it had in the UK, then I was like, hey, Sebastian, um, let's bring Max, let's get Max involved. But then also let's go. And this was sort of about a year later, I think. Um, let's go and visit a number so of So that was kind of the beginning of your tequila education. Exactly. Or 100% agave yeah. tequila education. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so we kind of got to that stage, like Max was involved, and um, at, this was now into our second year at business school. And then we had this sort of iconic moment um, that part of our entrepreneurial business school was that we had to start, start a company in three months. Um, and so we had a professor of entrepreneurship and that was, they call it lab to market is their sort of key program. Um, and so we, Max, Sebastian and I were just like, Hey, we've already got this. Like, let's go work on tequila. Like we've already got someone in London. Like we know it works. We've got all this research, customer research and tastings. It's great. As we ran into our professor, we're like, Hey, we want to start a tequila company. Um, and I won't use all the inflammatory language he used in telling us <laughs> in how terrible an idea it was. Um, but it was not. The, the reception we'd hoped to get and categorically he uh, he said that this is the worst idea I think that anyone's brought into um, brought into this program um, that he would just he listed off all of our competitors that are sort of lack of licensing know-how and that there was such a challenge working getting sort of product from Mexico to London and the list went on um, and I think that was like that, that's a moment that st- sits in my mind um, and definitely Sebastian Sebastian still feels pretty bitter about it <laughs> I mean I think well I thing- think I, well sorry to interrupt but sitting here with two bottles in front of me you know, hopefully he's not bitter anymore because you proved him wrong. Yeah. How satisfying is that? It's it's wonderful, and we uh-huh. we are like in a comical way. We we'd love to see him again because I think um, you should send him a bottle. We want to we want to send him one, but we want to we want to make it so like it will also be part of what our company is about. So uh-huh. when the, when the moment's right, we'll definitely like we want to take him out for dinner and show him a wonderful experience. Right, exactly, and, and maybe we can get an endorsement from him <laughs> and, be like, and just sort of saying like I counted these guys out, but this is a good model. For maybe them. he only had bad tequila before. Maybe but exactly. Maybe. <laughs> I also think that as soon as an academic tells you that you shouldn't be doing something, I think that's the opportunity that you've definitely got to seize and go for it. So when they said, Max, when they said, we want to start this company, you're like, I am, I'm in. This is something that I want to do. No, I, <laughs> no, I, I, well, at that point, I'd already tried what I thought was very, very good tequila. And so my thing was like, let's, okay, let, let's have a think about this. Let's go down. And let's find, if we can find something where I would want to drink it, even if I have the worst hangover and I feel awful or I've got the flu, then we can bring that to market. But let's go down to Mexico. So we all went down um, and we talked to various maestro tequileros. We tried various different recipes um, until we met one guy who's called Enrique Legoreta, who's our maestro tequilero, so our tequila master, master. Um, who who is in charge of all of our production. And we, the first time we sat down with him, we were, in fact, quite hungover from the night before. And I said to Rob, like, look, dude, we're not going to find the right tequila. Like, let's, I'm not going to this next one. You guys go. Yeah. And I was dragged along. That was that was that was quite like a, that was a, quite a frosty argument. It was our, it was the last place we were going to on this. Trip. It was literally it was, the last place, um, as well. and it was the place that our, Sebastian was most excited about. And so we sort of had to persuade Max. It was a, it was a good hour and a half <laughs> in the sort of in the Yalisco sun, and so um, we we persuaded him there. And uh, I'll let Max finish the story. But so we were we were staying in Guadalajara, and it was driving up the sort of the road to Tequila, which is the of the town and this distillery is right in the middle and you got there and it's the most beautiful distillery and it it 
it's very advanced, and you could see the difference between that distillery and some of the other ones we'd, we'd visited. And um, and we went into the tasting room and sat down, and Enrique poured us sort of his tequila that he made there, and uh, it was incredible. It was absolutely incredible. And I remember looking at Robin and my hangover sort of dissipating visually, you know, visibly. And, um, yeah, I think that's when we, we, we made the decision almost immediately that we go with Enrique. But that wasn't by any stretch sort of the, the, uh, the, the decision having been made on the liquids. I mean, for both of them, we tried 89 different recipes uh, with Enrique. We tried 89 different recipes, um, which is why our Añeco Cristalino is called 89. We're naming all of our bottles that we make, all of our, our lines, we name after numbers that mean something. Um, and, and that's why we did that. And so it was a, that was really only the beginning of the process to, uh, to create what is now Enemigo, because we had a very, very clear vision of what we wanted to introduce to market. Well, what is that? What is that vision? What was it? Yeah. I mean, I I think first and foremost, we wanted to break all stereotypes, um, that we still sort of are trying to break down today around tequila. Um, we still walk into bars, we still walk into meetings and it's 1 p.m., and we say, hey, like, well, would you like to try some tequila? And you see their facial expression change negatively. Um, and so we just knew that with our liquids, we had to have something that would completely break that. Um, and so for us, the, the, the biggest core principle was purity. So within purity, you have smoothness. Um, so smoothness is such a big foundation of our flavor profile. Um, and then also that we wanted to make sure that... Um, that each of our liquids could stand up against its competitors. So not only against tequila, but also um, our extra Añejo can really win over even the most discerning of whiskey or cognac drinkers. Um, and with our Cristalino, our Añejo Cristalino, um, it really sort of builds off, it can really sort of take control over what people thought of vodka and, and other spirits in the market. Because tequila is still a new thing here. Um, it's still, it's, it's building aggressively. Um, and that we want, we want our tequila to kind of win that race. And I think the crucial thing for us is is getting people to 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 try tequila, to try our tequila, and realise that um, I was with some guys yesterday who who we sat down and tried eighty nine, and the first reaction was I could sit here and drink the whole bottle, and I can't believe this is forty percent, and I can't believe this is tequila, and that is something that's happened time and time and time again. Um, and, and and that makes me extremely happy because then people, you know, you are converting people over from sort of other other spirits to really knowing and seeing what tequila can do. And both of our tequilas are very, very different. And we wanted to do that deliberately to show the breadth of what can happen. They're both, they start out with the same liquid and they're both aged in the same brand new American oak, custom made American oak casks. Um, but then what happens after they're taken out of the barrels, is, is, is a very different process. Yes, well, why don't you tell me about this process? Because it's quite different from... So, they're both... The first thing that's a bit different is, is, is the brand new American oak, um, which a lot of tequilas use reconstituted bourbon barrels. Um, because bourbon legally can only be used... Barrels can only legally be used once, and then it's quite an easy way of getting, getting barrels done. We didn't want to do that because if you have fresh American oak, you you get, you can age it almost for less time, get the same sort of oaky flavour in, and also you, you have parity throughout the barrels. If you're buying bourbon barrels, you don't really know how long the bourbon's been in there, what's happened to them, whether the liquid is at 40% or how they're, how they're ageing it, 
And so you can never guarantee parity. And you always also get a bit of the flavor of the bourbon in there, which makes it a bit sharper. So that was the first thing that we do a bit differently. We use custom-made new American oak. And then with the Cristalino, which is a relatively new... Um, it's relatively rare to have. I think it's certainly in the UK, it's, it's, it's pretty rare. Um, we age it for a year, uh, just over a year, and it comes out sort of a, a light brown, a, a light brown colour, sort of a hay colour. And then we filter it through carbon and cellulose, so a three-phase filtration system. And what that does is it makes the liquid incredibly smooth and very viscous to look at, so it, it, you can see it swirling around in the glass. And it also takes away any of the colour. So you suddenly have an Añeco, which is clearer, potentially clearer even than a Blanco, or any Reposado for sure. And and people immediately associate clear spirits with being strong and quite aggressive. Whereas with our spirit, it's incredibly smooth. You still have the subtle hints of aged tequila and a little bit of spice on the end. But it doesn't burn, it doesn't do any of the things that you would associate with drinking and clear spirit neat um and then with the extra nyeko we age that for over three years and we don't put it through a filtration system but it really infuses with the flavor of the oak and it's got quite strong it's got quite a strong oaky flavor agave flavor with sort of demerara overtones it's this sort of it's it's quite dry it's this ideal companion if you were going to put them into categories you could start your night with Enemigo 89 and Yeko Cristalino, and you could very happily finish it with our double zero extra Yeko. And that's kind of where we wanted to go with it. Was an aha moment the, um, uh, was it thinking, let's try and use new barrels and not use the old, you already used bourbon barrels? I mean, was that a, um, we're going to take control of the whole process? That's here? what we wanted to do. We wanted to, and our distillery as well was a very important thing in this. Um, our distillery is, is, is one of the most environmentally friendly distilleries. We don't use fossil fuels to heat the agave. We use agave residue. And our process uses 50% less, 60% less water and 50% less energy. Um, and it also has the ability to extract more from the agave, which is crucial at the moment in, the, in, in, in terms of the agave crisis that's going on and being responsible and using technology. And so not just the bourbon barrels using fresh bourbon barrels, but also the process in which we do it, the fact that our water all comes, that we use to then to make the tequila, all comes from the volcano because our distillery sits directly underneath the volcano of tequila in the town of tequila. Um, so it's produced in the shadow. And the minerals that are infused with that are also crucial to making it. So it wasn't just using the bourbon barrels, it was about turning the whole process completely on its head and moving away or not being afraid to to still hold on to tradition and heritage, but to update it, which I think is 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 as a new brand and as a young brand, you have a unique ability to be disruptive and do that. Whereas if you've based all of your marketing and branding over heritage, it's more of a struggle to then flip it on its head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that the new American Oak Barrels was... Um, that was a, a sort of a quick learning for us. I think that decision was make, made quite early on. Just in, we spent a lot of time with our, with Enrique, um, and really just sort of talked talked him through the sort of flavor profiles we were looking for. And he said, "Well, there is this one thing that we could do is use these these um, these custom made casks for us." 
um, and so like okay well let's can we try something else and so he, he was able to sort of create something similar to what we ended up with very relatively quickly and as soon as we tasted it we knew that that was the path that we wanted to go on um, that sort of sort of pushed into everything we wanted that sort of that same image of purity um, we wanted a sort of a complex flavor profile for our extra añejo we wanted the notes to come through after we filtered it um, and so it all just kind of blended into one um, and so yeah that was quite early on in the in the process um, now, you talk about it as being a sipping tequila. Um, I know that you work with some of the great bars in London, yeah. Mr. Fox, etc. And um, is that more, uh, do you think they also mix well in cocktails? So we we do, actually, funny enough. Um, whilst I'm sipping, t- the basis of a sipping tequila is it's something that you can sit there and sip, right? It's not exclusive that if, if you go and make a cocktail... You know, you're you're ruining the liquid. But what we found is that that um, with some of our bartenders and 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 that really bringing the cocktail because you don't need to mask the flavour. You can really create cocktails which are quite simple but really stand out. So we're bringing out a new one. There's a perfect pour called Mineral Eighty Nine, which you use so mi- sparkling mineral water. Uh, Enemigo 89 and squeezes of, of, of a lime in it and what that in a long in a long long drink and what that does is the minerals that are in min, sparkling mineral water match really well with the minerals that are in the water that we use from 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 uh, tequila and it just creates this incredibly refreshing drink um, I hate the idea of things like vodka soda lime because I, I just find them incredibly boring and the first time that that we were creating this drink, I had quite a negative reaction to it because I thought like, uh, okay, this is like super basic and not very fun. I've never been more blown away with a cocktail that was so refreshing in my life, and it's completely changed my view on it. Yeah, I think the, the and the, what because of that, because of aging it in those new American oak barrels, that's those subtle notes that you get towards the like the the end of sipping our tequila gets sort of elongated when you have it in a tall drink like that. Um, and I think that's what the sort of the, again breaking that stereotype of that sort of vodka soda lime that Max has such a reaction to that you don't get from a, a, a sort of a cocktail like that, but that you would get from Mineral Eighty Nine. And so you do get those subtle notes coming through, but then again, it's incredibly light, just with that little dash of lemon, lime juice on top. That it makes like it's sort of the perfect drink for summer, the perfect way, and also the perfect way to educate people that tequila is a wonderful thing to sip. And I think I think you know the other really important thing is as people are becoming more health conscious, the fact that something like a Mineral Eighty Nine, even with a fifty ml shot of Enemigo in it, is only something like sixty four calories, whereas a gin and tonic, for example, would be one hundred and sixty four calories. And I think that's that's quite important to people nowadays. And obviously, contains no sugar and things like gin and tonic contains quite a lot of sugar. And and I think we're going to see drinks being paired back a lot rather than having these, you know, really sugary cocktails. You know, using things like pineapple juice and stuff like that. That you can really um, that you can really pair them back. The other one that we like to make is is a Tommy's Margarita, so Tommy's eighty nine, but instead of which is tequila. Lime juice, the juice of about two limes, and then a dash of... We use honey because at the moment, obviously, there's this agave crisis and we've sort of decided that, that, that using agave syrup, it's not really necessary. It's kind of a neat little touch, but it doesn't really actually mean that much. And so using the honey instead hopefully allows us to keep making tequila <laughs> in some small way. Um, and that's, again, a really simple drink and not too sugary and not too... It doesn't mark... You, 
because our liquid is so smooth, you don't need to mask the flavor of the liquid. You need to make it more pronounced. And I think that's that's really the, the idea behind any cocktail that we make. Well, as tequila is my favorite spirit, even though I really shouldn't say that. <laughs> those Both those cocktails sound divine, and I can't wait to try them. Should we go make some? Let's do it. Thanks to Robin and Max for letting me sip tequila and amigo all afternoon with nary a hangover. Now it's time for our cocktail of the week. The Mineral 89 is more than the cocktail of the week. It's the cocktail of the summer. So easy, so refreshing. You'll be drinking it until Strictly comes back for a new season. Start with a highball glass and pour in 50 mLs of Enemigo 89 Anheo Cristalino. Add 3 to 5 ice cubes. Then the hard part. Fill the glass with 175 mLs of sparkling mineral water. Not just any but one with calcium concentration of over 150 or a magnesium concentration of over 50. Ideally, both. For example, San Pellegrino and Badois have both. Perrier only has the magnesium. Squeeze a quarter of a lime into the glass and stir to combine all the liquids. Squeeze another quarter of a lime in if you want. And there you have the summer beverage. You'll find this recipe and all the cocktails of the week on alushlifemanual.com, where you'll also find all the ingredients in our shop. Next week, I'm heading to Edinburgh, where the famous cocktail conference, Tales of the Cocktail, which originated in New Orleans, is taking its show on the road. I'll be meeting some of the most influential people in the drinks world and interviewing them for this very show. So until next time, slancha. That's Bottoms Up in Gaelic. Thanks for listening to the Lush Life Podcast, the sister of A Lush Life Manual. For more information and links to everything you heard, plus a bit more, please visit alushlifemanual.com. Always remember the wise words of Oscar Wilde. All things in moderation, including moderation. And always drink responsibly. Okay, I said that last part. Theme music is by Stephen Shapiro and used with permission. Lush Life is produced by Evo Terra. And I'm your hostess, Susan Schwartz. I'll see you at the bar.